The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. From our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC. I'm a uh, national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If uh, you want to learn more about my political polling firm, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon, all one word. Today we have a great show for you. Uh, In the first half hour, our guest is Sean Zella, uh, the editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine, who brief us on uh, activity in Congress. Uh, Then in the second half hour, we will have, as usual, the provocative progressive political panel. Today on the panel, my guests are Tara Devlin, the host of Tara Buster, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. But first, uh, we have uh, a clip to play you uh, on uh, the infrastructure battle in the United States Senate. But there are a lot of Republicans, probably every Republican, who says there's no way we're going to support this first bipartisan bill if it is any way linked and connected to this much bigger, basically, freight train heading towards socialism. So, so Lindsey Graham said he's out. He's no longer voting yes. Are you no longer voting yes? Do we have a deal or do we not have a deal? Well, I've talked to a number of members of the bipartisan group. They are all reluctant now to move forward. They're going to need more assurances from the president that there is no link, no connection between the bipartisan bill and this bill that the Democrats want to do. Really, they may end up trying to use, and I believe they will try to use, reconciliation on this $6 trillion bill. But that's going to be a high-wire act for them with no safety net. There's not going to be a single Republican in the House or Senate who's going to vote for it. They're going to be left to try to get every Democrat in the Senate. They'll need every one, and they can only afford to lose four in the House. That uh, was Senator John Barrasso, a Republican from Wyoming, uh, talking about the freight train to socialism. Boy, that sounds scary. Um, Anyway, uh, our guest in this half hour is an expert on Capitol Hill. Uh, Sean Zella is the editor of Congressional Quarterly magazine. Uh, His other claim to fame is that he was the first guest on Deadline DC, uh, and hopefully he will not be the last. Uh, Sean, welcome back to Deadline DC. It's great to be on, Brad. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, infrastructure. 
We just heard uh, Senator John Barrasso, a Republican from Maine, uh, discussing uh, last week uh, a group of uh, 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 Republican and Democratic senators agreed to a bipartisan infrastructure package, which I think came comes in at about uh, one trillion dollars. Uh, last week, uh, President Biden announced uh, that that uh, agreement uh, was predicated on passing a larger Democratic-only re- reconciliation package. Uh, then he kind of backed away from that, saying it might or might not. Can you clarify the situation for us, Sean? Well, it is confusing. I, I mean, there's a lot of moving part he, parts here. It is truly a game of chess that's going on. And the outcome is unknown at this point. I think what happened last week is this bipartisan group, indeed, they reached a deal uh, with President Biden to spend about $1 trillion on infrastructure over the next five years. About $580 million of it would be new funding above what's currently planned. And it's got uh, let it had a, at one point 11 Republicans on it and there were five Democrats negotiating the Democrats negotiating are the moderate types uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia Kirsten Cinema of Arizona and so the idea here for the Republicans is to take the wind out of the Democrats sails to give them a win a bipartisan win to give Biden money to spend on infrastructure and then their hope is that, the larger Biden plan, which would include uh, funding for child care, funding for elder care, free college, community college tuition. They hope all that will fall apart after they reach this bipartisan agreement, that there just won't be an appetite among Democrat moderates to move forward. Uh, Democratic progressives are worried about that. And so they said, hey, you can't pass this bipartisan bill without our support. It just can't get through the Senate without it. It can't get through the House without it. And so they said, we need these two bills to be linked, to move together as one, because we don't trust that both will pass if you move the bipartisan infrastructure bill first. And so you saw the Democratic leaders, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, um, repeating that argument as a way to uh, reassure the progressives in their caucuses. And you saw President Joe Biden restate that point um, in his press conference. But then the Republicans got cold feet and they said, hey, wait a second. You know, that takes away our hope, which is that your your larger plan falls apart. And so they said, we may back out. And so now things are in flux. You know, Biden said one thing. Now he's saying another thing. And it's going to get real interesting this coming month. Now, uh, uh Could you briefly explain what is in the bipartisan agreement? It seemed to me, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, it was basically hardcore infrastructure, uh, bridges, roads. uh, What exactly is in the bipartisan package? Yeah, the Republicans are willing to spend money on roads, bridges, the hard infrastructure stuff, ports. In addition to that, broadband has bipartisan support, so expansion of broadband in rural areas, uh, that's in the bill. The The problem they had in reaching it that they had to overcome was how to pay for it. Um, 
the Republicans wanted to raise the gas tax or at least link it to inflation so it would rise with inflation. They wanted to hit drivers of electric vehicles, which obviously they don't pay the gas tax. It would uh, hit them with sort of a mileage driven fee or some sort of fee so that they would be contributing. And they wanted to repurpose funds from that $2 trillion uh, coronavirus relief bill that Congress enacted in March with only Democratic votes. And so Biden said, no, we're not going to do that. That would violate my pledge to uh, not raise taxes on people under 400000 I don't want to touch um, the COVID relief money. And so they... Uh, <laughs> They had to work out quite a deal there where they're going to task the IRS with going after unpaid tax bills, doing more audits. They're going to you know, find all other creative accounting mechanisms to say that the bill is paid for. And they would reuse some COVID relief money, but it would be from the bills that passed last year, not this year. Okay. Now, uh, what is not in the bipartisan package uh, that, uh, you know, that the progressives want. We, you know, I think the president was talking, as you mentioned, the $5 trillion uh, package. What, what is in the progressive yeah. package that's not in the bipartisan package? Mainly the stuff in what's known as the Biden's American Families Plan. Um, so that is money to help uh, people pay for the care of their elderly parents. It's money to pay for child care. It's money, uh, free community college tuition for Americans who, for their, the two years that you would go to community college. It's also a lot of climate money. So there is some climate money in the bipartisan bill, but not nearly as much as a lot of Democrats want to see. And so things, for example, like um, uh, those, uh, electric vehicle charging stations. Biden wants to expand those all over the country. And so that's not in the bipartisan bill. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now for our uh, radio listeners, but we're going to stay uh, right here for our television viewers. Our guest in this half hour is Sean Zeller, who is the editor uh, of Congressional Quarterly Magazine, and Sean is trying to help us hack our way through the congressional swamp in Washington, D.C. Uh, so uh, stay tuned. We'll have more of Sean Zella and more of Deadline D.C. Uh, after we come back from break. Uh, that will be a couple minutes for our radio listeners and right almost right away for our television viewers. So hang in there. Welcome back to Deadline DC. I'm Brad Bannon, and our guest in this segment is Sean Zeller, the editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine. Uh, Sean, let's uh, go back to the uh, infrastructure bill, since that seems to be the main order of business in Capitol Hill uh, these days. Now, the way uh, it, it seems to me, this is the way things stand. Uh, last week, there was an agreement between the president and a bipartisan group of senators on a $1 trillion infrastructure package, which basically is, is you know, it's just straight 
build, you know, building bridges and roads and uh, broadband, I guess. Uh, the the uh, Jill Manchin, the moderately conservative Democratic senator from West Virginia, said yesterday he would support a two trillion dollar package that would be funded uh, by uh, increases in corporate taxes. Uh, the president had initially proposed a $5 trillion package, and a group of progressives, including Bernie Sanders of Vermont, uh, has is favors a $6 trillion package. So we've got quite a spread there. And it seemed to me I was, when I was watching Joe Manchin yesterday, I was trying to think if this was, his statement was good or bad news for the Biden administration. Uh, the good news is he sort of hinted that he may support reconciliation and they need his vote in the Senate for reconciliation to work. Uh, but it's uh, well, the two trillion dollar package he's talking about is well short of what the president wants uh, and the progressives want. Uh, so I guess one question I have, let's say we finally settled on a two trillion dollar uh, package uh, through reconciliation, uh, which leaves out a lot of the things that the president and uh, progressives want. Uh, would they be able, would, the, uh, would uh, that package get progressive support uh, from senators like Bernie Sanders uh, and uh, uh, I guess another one would be uh, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. Uh, what are the prospects for that? Well, progressives have been trying have been trying to lay down, lay down some red lines um, where they say they they need to go um, in order to get their votes. And one of those is significant funding to combat climate change. So I think if that $2 trillion bill includes significant funding to combat climate change, uh, that's helpful in terms of getting the progressive vote. Now, if some one of the other big pieces gets left on the, on the side, uh, money for childcare, money for elder care, money for education, you know, the progressives have not said that that's a red line for them yet. So it remains to be seen whether some might say, you know, I can't support it unless it does this. I think at the end of the day, I mean, and you've you've heard this from Bernie Sanders, who's the Senate budget chairman. He's put out a very, uh, as you said, six trillion dollar um, proposal. But I think he's also recognized that it's likely to come down some. And so if at the end of the day, the Democrats get $3 trillion, whereas Biden initially proposed $4 trillion, um, I mean, my thinking will be there will be a lot of celebration about that. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, let's talk about another piece of legislation. Uh, last week, I heard uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina saying that he and Democratic Cory Booker were moving closer on a police reform bill. Uh, and if they do get together, what might that legislation look like? Well, the areas on which they agree are to uh, restrain the use of force more than it is currently restrained in law. They agree um, for example, to make it more difficult to use uh, holds that restrict people's breathing, um, you know, how George Floyd died and others have died at the hands of police. Um, 
they agree about things like spending more money on body cameras, on better police training. Uh, where the big hangup has been has been over the civil liability of individual officers. This is called qualified immunity. Um, under current law, you can't sue an individual police officer. Now, you can get compensated if you're a victim of police brutality by the employer of the police officer, the city or the town that employs them. Cities and towns pay out a lot of money. But progressives want um, the civil liability change so that there's a deterrent for an individual officer to think twice when they're engaging a, a suspect. And so we still don't know what deal they have worked there. There's been talk about making it easier to sue police departments instead of individual officers, but we haven't seen the details. And so we're sort of in the same place we've been for a while where they're saying they're making progress, but we haven't seen the details. If, uh and again, as you explained before, since this is a policy matter and not a fiscal matter, uh, that they can't go to reconciliation. So that would need 60 votes to survive uh, a uh, filibuster from opponents. Uh, do you think they can come up with a package that will uh, have some kind of immunity, uh, limitation on police immunity uh, that could survive the filibuster uh, override? Yeah, I think if Tim Scott, the Republican senator from uh, South Carolina, comes out and says, I back this compromise, I support it, that you're going to get the 60 votes. Because I just don't see his Republican colleagues contradicting Tim Scott. He's the lone black Republican in the Senate one of the few black Republicans in the Congress. He's been the victim of police uh, malfeasance himself. And so if you get his endorsement, I think, yes, you get it. The question is, you know, is the compromise then something that progressives think is too weak? Okay. Uh, one other thing, is there any likelihood for Senate action on political reform? Uh, the Republicans uh, filibusted the passage of the For the People Act, uh, which contains significant political reforms. Uh, that looks like it's dead. Is there anything short of that it is likely to get out of the Senate? It's going to be real tough. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin, who says... Um, you know, who wanted big changes to that bill, and they got his vote to move to debate, but he still wasn't supportive of the underlying bill. Um, he says he wants to make uh, Voting Rights Act reforms instead of the For the People Act now, but there's still not a lot of Republican support for that. Lisa Murkowski, the Republican senator from Alaska, is on board, but I, I don't think they got 10 votes. So you'd have to see a whole reframing of this issue, I think, for it to have any prospect of moving forward. Or you'd have to see Democrats unite behind getting rid of the filibuster, which to this point doesn't seem plausible. OK, uh, Sean, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on Deadline DC. Uh, well, I'm sure there's going to be lots to talk about in on Capitol Hill uh, after they get back from summer break. Uh, so we hope you can uh, join us again. Uh, our guest in this half hour was Sean Zella, the editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine. Uh, in the next half hour after the break, we're going back to the provocative progressive political panel. Today on the panel is Tara Devlin, the host of Tara Buster, uh, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. So make sure you stay through the break for that. 
you won't want to miss it. All sorts of strange stuff happens on the panel every week. Uh, and again, thank you, Sean Zella. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. Welcome back. Progressive political panel, but before that, uh, we've got a clip to play uh, from Senator Bernie Sanders uh, talking about the need to invest heavily in America. So what we have got to do is now invest in making sure that we have affordable housing in this country, that we have home health care for an aging population that we're able to expand Medicare so that we finally can cover dental care and hearing aids uh, and eyeglasses, that we deal with the crisis in childcare where so many families, working families cannot afford uh, childcare. And that in addition to all of that, it's absolutely imperative that we deal with the, I, I would say, existential threat to this planet of climate change. And when we do all that, when we invest in uh, health care and in education, making higher education affordable. Uh, when we invest in transforming our energy system, we are going to create millions more good-paying jobs. So that's what the president wants. That's what I want. And I think that's what we're going to see. That, will, of course, was Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont talking about the need to invest in America. This half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. America is sizzling and crumbling. The Western <laughs> United States is enveloped in a massive heat wave, and dozens of people may have died in a condo collapse in Florida. The bipartisan infrastructure structure package that was agreed upon last week is nice, but it's not nearly enough to meet the urgent needs to rebuild America back better or to fight the ravages of climate change. You can read the rest of this column and all of my columns for the Hill at muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. That's muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is Tara Devlin. Tara is a New York City-based comedian and host of the unapologetically liberal podcast, Tara Buster. Keep, help keep real political media going and growing by becoming a patron <laughs> of Tara Buster at patreon.com front slash Tara Devlin. You can follow Tara on Twitter at Real Tara Devlin. That's T S R R E A L T R A R A D E V L I N, and on Instagram at T T A R A D A C K T Y. Also, that's always a mouthful for me. I know we we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, joining okay. Tara on the. Uh, panel is progressive political <laughs> activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote 
promote cancer research. Mm -hmm. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. M-A-R-K-J-G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Okay, panel, uh, let's start with this. Uh, I've been in a, in a real foul or sour mood about American politics uh, lately. And, you know, Donald Trump is gone from the White House, thank God. But, you know, this nation is clearly divided. And so my opening question to the panel, and I don't know the answer to this, uh, is how do the 81 million people who voted for Joe Biden coexist with the 73 million people that supported Donald Trump last November? Uh, you know, fortunately, more people voted for Joe Biden than Donald Trump, but there are still 73 million people out there who voted for Donald Trump. And even though he's out of the White House, the scars that he left in the United States on the United mm-hmm. States aren't going away. And I'm tired of all the divisiveness and terror. How can we reconcile this bridge in American society? If we, well, can we? Um, not when the Republican Party is con- continues to spread the big lie and every other lie. So I almost don't. I, I feel bad for the for the Trump Anzies. Uh, you know, to I know I shouldn't call them that, but hey, uh, they make it too easy. But the I, I feel bad in a way because they are being duped. They've been lied to. There are, I'm sure there are people who actually believe it. Now, imagine if Joe Biden came out and he started saying, this is stolen, this is rigged, this, is, uh, this didn't really happen, this is a, a sham. The great, uh, We would believe him, right? So for whatever reason, these right-wingers, they believe this, this con man. I mean, Trump is a con man. So the Democratic Party does a lot of work for the Republican Party by they all it's almost like the Democrats have a have a a vested interest a larger vested interest in rehabilitating that party than the Republicans have themselves they're still spreading the lie they still on Fox News I mean I never thought I would see the the, the Tucker Carlson segment where he called the general a stupid yeah. pig. The, the, I mean, these people are not kidding around, and there, there, they, there will be more violence if they're not stopped. Now, the how? How do we do this? You cannot. How can you find common ground with people who don't have an interest in finding common ground? And I, I'm of the belief that we don't. We have to be unapologetic. We unapologetically have to put these people in their place, talk, tell the tell the American people what we're actually dealing with. The, but the Democrats, some of them clearly, like the Christian cinemas of the world, they're not doing that. They're giving the. the it's like on one hand we're like, okay, the Republicans just just incited an insurrection, and then the other hand we're like, well, can we get bi- bipartisan votes from them? Uh, hello, there's some kind of cognitive dissonance here. And it's really, in my opinion, stems from the fact that we've never finished 
the job of reconstruction. We barely got started back in the 1860s when it was compromise after compromise. And here we, you know, where we have to all endure the hundred years of, of, of domestic terrorism that this country was put under. So we have to, we have to finish reconstruction, but unapologetically so, and you can't do it with people who don't want to do it. It's like having, it's like being in a relationship with somebody and they're, they just simply will not whatever, take responsibility for whatever it might be. How could you, how could you heal that? They're not taking responsibility for they they can't even say what happened. They're rewriting the history of January 6th, just guaranteeing that it's going to happen again. They're, they're not kidding. If we allow them to uh, their success in undermining the next election, this is over. The grand experiment in liberal democracy is done. That's what they're that's what we're up against. Period. End of sentence, really. What, there's no other. Um, more, there's no more important tasks. And yes, infrastructure is great. All of that is great. But we must save democracy. It's we're, we have to uh, heed the lessons of history. So I don't know what, what you guys think. Mark, uh, let me ask you the question in a somewhat different way. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said that uh, a house divided cannot uh, survive. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I actually what the instance terror brought up about uh, Tucker Carlson is really what set me off last mm-hmm. week. And that, you know, that kind of talk from the right wing is epidemic. Uh, you know, can this country survive with these bitter political divisions? I think that my, you know, me personally, my heart wants to say yes, but my brain is just referring yes. to Tara's shirt. My brain is telling me, you know, not at the current state. You know, what's ironic to me is the bill you were talking about earlier with Sean Zeller, uh, the For the People Act, would do a lot of good because mm-hmm. it would yeah, it would. It would take a lot of the corporate money out of politics. It would also get people more involved with small donations. Um, it would fix redistricting and gerrymandering, and it would ensure people's right to vote. So the fact that we have, you know, we're talking about already having that bill being defeated by a filibuster that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema uh. refused to eliminate, which Tara was just talking about reconstruction. You know, the filibuster was a, a tool of the slavery era is just right. it's deeply ironic to me. Um, I, I'll have to finish uh, after the break, Brad, because I know we're coming okay. up to that. Okay, we're going to go to break now for our radio listeners. But if you're watching us, stay tuned because we don't have a break. We have a very (laughs) short one. So we'll be back with more of Deadline DC and the provocative progressive political panel with Tara Devlin and Mark Grimaldi right after this break. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad uh, as we usually do in the second half hour, are holding court on the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, our guests on the panel today are Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, uh, and uh, our own executive producer and liberal activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Tara, 
Sunday will be the 4th of July. Uh, so we're going to be talking a lot about patriotism. Yes. Uh, it seems to me, to use an example, uh, that taking over, they, they tried to clothe uh, the takeover of the Capitol uh, in the American flag. But it strikes me that an insurrection like that, where you're uh, you're essentially occupying the seat of popular democracy, is not very patriotic. Uh, and have conservatives lost the claim they used to have on flag waving and patriotism? Yes, yes. I'll take this one. Yes. They, um, in fact, one of the things that I tr- I'm doing, this is one of the mission, my missions in life besides... Uh, being uh, being an advocate for universal health care, but that's all related with patriotism because liberals are the real patriots. This is why Republicans have to claim the mantle of patriotism they and put on the accoutrement of, of stars and flags and tricorned hats and all kinds of external symbols of patriotism because the substance of patriotism is really over their heads. To be a patriot, that means it basically means fellow countrymen, and that's the root of the word. Regardless, the meaning of the word is leaving no one behind. We're in this together. the 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 motto of the country is "E pluribus unum," out of many, one. What part of of patriotism is uh, everything that you that we see? That I mean, they the the only. Um, Wait, I mean, what what is patriotism? It's sort of like their fake Christianity. They boil their love of so supposed love of Jesus down to being a gay basher. That's basically it. And with patriotism, there it's the search for the superior moral justification for selfishness. That's not being a patriot. Uh, I mean, we're in this together. That's why we form communities and countries so we can have the freedom that they claim to be all about. But they're not about they're they're not patriots at all, because being a patriot, I mean, the entire the United States is a patriotic. I mean, is a progressive experiment. There's nothing more progressive than overthrowing a king and an aristocracy and pledging your life, fortune, and sacred honor to each other. Uh, what, uh, it's everything in that sentence, everything in the Declaration of Independence is not conservative in any sense of the word. So we have to reclaim patriotism because the, the founders, for all their hip, hip, hypocrisy, you know, they were students of the liberal age of enlightenment. And we're still trying to bring that to fruition. And the closer we get to that, that's when they freak out. That's when they storm the Capitol and they turn to violence because they're the 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 rules of democracy are too hard for them. You see, they don't want to knock on doors and build coalitions. They want to rig the game. They want dirty tricks. If they were really patriots, I mean, we're really under the tyranny of a minority party because they receive fewer votes. They represent a minority of people. And then they they uh, rig the game whenever they get in power. And it's never about e pluribus unum. It's about divide and conquer. So I don't know, as somebody who studies history a little bit, 
it's I see the writing on the wall if they are not really put in their put put in their place. I mean, legally and peacefully. But we we have to reclaim patriotism and fight for this democracy like it's it's uh, on life support because it is. It really is. So I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mark, uh, celebrating the 4th of July on Sunday. uh, How do you think what values you know, when you think about uh, the 4th of July and Independence Day, what values are uniquely American that we should be celebrating? I think I think it's got to be for me is the, the right to vote, the right to determine mm-hmm. the direction of your country. And, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but again, that was something that was, you know, paired with the For the People Act was the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, which I think we can stand to beat that horse a lot. Yeah. More yeah. Really. It's a tragedy mm-hmm. that it did not pass. No, I it, mean, it would make fundamental f- reforms to the political process that are very necessary and vital. And a massive majority of Democrats and Republican voters actually agree to the provisions in the bill and are for them. Um, All right. you know, just to give you an example, one thing that's, that's very common sense to me is instead of having to go ask a corporation for huge sums of money, um, you can, if you get a small donation of, let's say I donate $50 to candidate A, well, they would then get a six times match from a fund that was already pre-funded instead of going to the corporate donors. So it encourages you to support and pursue policies that are good for people regardless of their, their wealth. Um, and just yeah. think about how that would transform a politician. And you know, Brad, you're 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 right. in this world. They con- con- congressmen and congresswomen and senators talk about how much they hate dialing for dollars, and they they have to spend an absurd amount of money, or excuse me, a certain amount of time doing that. Yep. And if they didn't have to do that, if they could go out and just have more town hall meetings yes. and and. Think about how simply pursuing the needs of your constituents instead of pursuing the money you need to yeah. beat your opponent uh, would change things. I mean, you you it just it would radically change the system, and that's just one part of it. Um, the Voting Rights Act, you know, it made me think of something that Tara brought up about how when you see someone who drapes themselves in the flag or someone who claims to be Christian but but goes against you know things in the Bible. Um, there's something that this Georgia uh, SB 202 bill, the Georgia um, voter restriction bill that passed, um, made me think of, there's the passage in the Bible, uh, It's I had to look it up, Matthew 25, it says, for I yeah. was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Well, there's a provision in that law that you can't even hand out water to people who are waiting <laughs> yeah. hours in line yeah. to vote, yeah. which happens regularly, which happened in the presidential election in Georgia, and which happened in the uh, Senate elections in Georgia and the special Senate elections. So it's just, I mean, you can't look for any clearer examples of how that those are right. anti-freedom and anti-Christianity, both things which, which conservatives claim to have as you know what defines them so it's hypocrisy at its finest and you know we not only need to shine a light on it but we need to push with a fierce urgency just like when we were fighting to save this country from donald trump and my god thank thank god we did because if you 
keep hearing about all the things that were trying to be done behind right. the scenes, like declare the insurrection act, fire on protesters. Mm. You know, these mm. things are just coming up in the last two weeks yep. that we're finding out from interviews from senior administration officials. That's that's what we're up against because right now, yeah. that's what yep. it looks like is gonna who unless he's in prison. That's who it yeah. looks like they want to put back up to run in 2024. And That's imagine right. how much I should I should mention that last week, the uh, Justice Department under uh, Judge Merrill Garland filed suit uh, against the state of Georgia, saying that its new election laws uh, were racially discriminatory. Uh, so uh, to follow that, Terry, yeah. you want to have right. the uh, final word before yeah. we break? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. It's just it's this is um, a crucial time, and we have to re we have to take the lessons of history. So, just look at what happened with the rise of Nazi Germany. Hitler, same thing. They tried. They initially he initially tried to overthrow the government by violent means. Came back uh, ten years later, was elected chancellor. So, just because. They uh, they have been defeated right now. Obviously, this coup is continuing and we really need to to heed those warnings. And as far as the corporations, corporations love fascism. So it doesn't surprise me there that Toyota is now donating to Congress people again. It's uh, yeah. Get, I, you know, I knew when they instituted yeah. that ban, it wasn't going to last long. Right. And, you know, let me let me close by saying this. You you can't solve any of the fundamental problems in this country without getting big money out of politics. That's it. Yeah. You can do big you money. can rearrange the furniture here, here. all you want, but as long as you know money dominates American politics from corporations yep. and wealthy individuals who are finding ways of spending you know millions of dollars on campaigns every year, nothing else is going to work. That's it for Deadline DC today. Uh, I want to thank our guest Sean Zella, the editor's Congressional Quarterly Magazine. Uh, Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and our own executive producer and political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, stay tuned. Enjoy your Fourth of July. Uh, and remember, liberals are patriotic. That's right. Amen. <laughs>